slide, actually, Philippians chapter 2. Um, and uh, this is our series, our, our Bible series that we're doing. We're going through the whole of the book of Philippians, and we've just entered chapter 2. Uh, don't worry if you can't find it in your Bible. We'll bring it up on the screen. Uh, um, you're going to come up and share it with me. Nikki's going to come up and just uh, read the passage. And uh, it's great to go through a series because you really don't have control over what you're going to, what you're going to say because we're submitting ourselves to the Word of God. So uh, I take, I'm, not, I'm not responsible for what we're sharing this morning. It is right there in the Scriptures as we go through. So Nikki's going to read out our passage, and we're going to pray, and we're going to just open up a few things that we believe God is saying to us through it. So hold on to your hats. Thanks, Nikki. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility esteem others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Nikki, so much. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we recognize that reading your word is a privilege, and we praise you, Lord, that you are here by your Holy Spirit, and we pray, please, would you continue, continue to speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, this is a very famous passage. Um, interestingly, though, as you read through Paul, it's amazing how much he talks about unity of heart. You'll, you'll see it again and again as he writes to the churches. He is very concerned about unity of heart. It's a high value for him. And, of course, it's not just Paul, but Jesus himself holds it very highly. So, so Jesus, in, is in John 17, is praying to his Father, and he prays to the Father that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Right? Jesus is looking for intimate unity among his church. And so being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord is a high value in the Scriptures. In fact, it's one of the main things that are to distinguish us from the rest of the world around us. So, so Jesus in John 13 says this. He says, he says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. See, it's interesting. We regard uh, you know, things like uh, healings and deliverances or the presence of the Spirit as signs, as distinctives between us that mark us out from the community, and they are. They, they totally are. But here Jesus is saying our unity also is a distinctive, all right? It marks us out as different. And, and that shouldn't surprise us because by and large, our world doesn't operate that way, right? To be of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord is, 
is counter-cultural. It's counter-intuitive to our age, isn't it? Because we're, we're living in an age that puts so much emphasis on the individual, on our own personal preferences above everyone else's. It's almost like from the moment we're born, it's like this. We, we tend to put the spotlight on, on ourselves. Our own spotlight is pointed towards ourselves. It's about me. We're the center of our world. And we have this thing called ego. And have uh, you heard that word ego? It's simply a Greek word meaning I, from ego, hi, me, I, myself. And that's what it means. It's I, myself. I am the center of my universe. It's all about me. And, uh, it's a phys- and if it was a physical thing, if you could see your ego, I imagine it could look like this. A zorb. You know about zorbing? And I kind of imagine that's kind of like our ego. It's like this big thing around us, and it's full of our own... Uh, reputation, it's meanness, it's me-ness, our ball, and it's made up of my preferences and my reputation and my value, and it's a bit of my pride in there, and we all have it, and for some it's bigger than others, and some for some of us it gets so big that it crushes others, and here's an example of that, this is a, a rampant ego, all right, and uh, I mean some people are so full of themselves, and they crush everybody else. And uh, that's a little bit of a rampant ego. Ego, you know, it's that, it's that guy in the office who dominates, who talks too much, who doesn't take into account anybody else. He wants to have their way, or it's that person in the family, you know, the drama queen who gets all the attention, or it's that person in the church who I won't talk about this anymore. I'll stop about there. <laughs> no one's got ego problems here. And it works against unity because it keeps the spotlight on ourselves. It makes us more conscious and protective of ourselves than the other person. And so our egos tend to bump up and bash into each other like this. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to play that game. But I've always wanted to play it with um, three-year-olds or something so I could knock them all over. That's probably an ego problem right there, isn't it? But that gets to be like life. Uh, but the game of life, it's not always fun, is it? Because we bounce off each other and we can bruise each other or our egos get bruised. You know, those, those moments when you find yourself thinking, hey, what about me? You know, I have an opinion too. You know, why was I not included or why wasn't I picked or why was I passed over? Why is she hogging all the limelight? What about my needs? What about my ministry? What about my preferences? I want the heating higher on a Sunday morning at church. What about me? (laughs) This is you, Mandy. (laughs) What about me? And that's how it comes across comes up all the time. We all grow up with it right from a very early age. Just a, a week, a few weeks ago, Stacy came up to me talking about my grandchildren, uh, Izzy and Ellie May. Izzy is nearly four and Ellie May is nearly two. Oh, thank you. I can never keep up with, the, with, with uh, ages. Four and two, but Stacy's telling me this the other day. She's in the kitchen, hears Ellie May scream, runs into the lounge, and there's Ellie May wailing. And she looks and she sees Izzy with his elbow right in her side like this. And she's 
What? She goes storming up to Isaiah to tell him off and pull him away when suddenly she sees that there's Ali Mae screaming with her hand under his leg, pinching as hard as she can. <laughs> and straight away you're aware of two egos right there, two strong personalities fighting for space. And we all have it as kids. I remember very distinctly as a very little boy, uh, the four of us, one of four kids, once a year we take that drive from Wellington to Auckland to see my folks up there. So back in those days, it was about a 10-hour drive back then. And there we were in a big old Holden, Holden station wagon back in the day when there's only one long seat in the back, no seat belts. And there were four of us kids, and we got a 10-hour drive in front of us. And uh, I still remember no more than a few miles down the road, there we were beginning to kind of you know, fight each other. And, you know, he's squashing me, and she's looking out of my window, and he's breathing my air, and things like this was going on in a... And this dad, in a little world of his own, was a steering wheel just watching. He kind of retreats into himself and just drives. And there's mum like a volcano just getting bigger and getting rumbling and rumbling and rumbling and rumbling. Within the first hour, she erupts. And she'd dive for the glove box and pull out this wooden stick. This is back in the day when you could still have corporal punishment. Pulled out this stick. And she didn't even look behind her. She'd just go like this. And we would just be scampering and fleeing. Four strong egos pushing for space. It's what we do. We crush each other. And of course, as you grow up, it doesn't go away. It grows with you. And for some, it's bigger than others. But hey, we all have it. You'll see it in every family, every office, every sports team, every old people's scrabble club, every community, every church, no matter how good that church is. And if I look back to, to, to Jesus himself and his little church, the 12 disciples, so this church is led by Christ the Lord himself, yet what's the thing they're arguing about all the time? Who's the greatest? So it's everywhere, and Jesus has to speak into it again and again. And so here in Philippians 2, when Paul is calling this church to be unified, have the same love, one mind, look, he knows he's really calling for a supernatural work of grace. <laughs> Something very high. And it's why he says in the passage, he goes on to say that, he says, he says, look, if there's any encouragement in Christ, that's great. If any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, he's saying, look, all these things are fantastic, really great, but hey, make my joy complete. Go for the ultimate thing. The really supernatural thing, the heavenly thing, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in full accord. That's the ultimate thing. Go for that. It is unity, unity of heart and mind. That's what Paul's really saying. And of course, it is the ultimate because it's the perfect reflection of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, throughout all the endless ages, has always been like-minded, having the same love and of full accord. And you see, as God's church, we are called to reflect God's image on this troubled earth. It's a high calling. It's a God-like calling. It is what will distinguish us from the rest of the world, this deep, unified love. The question is, as always, is how. How do we do this? How do we achieve this as a people? If we all have these zorbs, these egos, 
how do we deflate our zorbs? And I don't mean how do that person deflate their zorb. I mean, how do we personally deflate our own? How do we deflate our own zorb? It's an important question. And Paul lays it out there very clearly. You want to you deflate your zorb this morning? Then this is where to go. He goes on to say this in verse 3 and 4. Paul says this. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility esteem others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, get rid of selfish ambition, take an interest in others. Or, in a nutshell, it's begin to take the spotlight off you and begin to shine it on other people. That's what it means. Begin to shine it on those around you. In other words, begin to esteem or honour those around you. We've already had that word mentioned this morning. And you see, this passage here in Philippians 2 is really about honour. It's about honour. One of our key words, one of those words that we felt if we focus on them, they would begin to shape us into a more Christ-like church. Usually we have them here on the stage, these five words, and one of them is honour. And this passage lays out what biblical honour really looks like. And really it's simply this, it's simply shining your spotlight on other people. It's esteeming others as more important than you. It's not that they are more important, but it's that you, you place honour upon them. You, you place them higher. You esteem them as more important. It's your attitude towards them. It's bestowing value. And Paul's saying, look, if you begin to take an interest in others, shine your light on others, then what will eventually emerge in the end is unity of heart and one, one spirit, one love the same love. We will become reflections of God on the earth. It all starts with where you put the spotlight. Where you put the spotlight. And actually, the fruit of, of turning the spotlight onto someone else can be massive. Can be massive. The first time this really came home to me was many years ago as a young uh, pastor. And it was the first church we'd planted. And uh, we planted this little church and there was a person who would come along every Sunday. She was in her mid-70s, probably, maybe getting on towards 80. This little old girl, she'd come to church every Sunday and come to our midweek meetings in the, uh, in, uh, on the evening. And the thing about this lady, she was, she was slightly drifting into dementia, probably, too. And so what she would do is she would talk. And um, in every meeting, she would just start off. And she would talk, and she'd talk, and she'd talk. And the thing is, I'm doing this, it sounds terrible, but this is what it was like. And, and uh, it was monotone, and it was about nothing at all. And she would just talk at all. And so even when you tried to uh, close her down during the meeting or trying to, trying to put her in a corner, she'd still get back again, and she'd start. And she'd dominate the evening. It sounds terrible the way I describe it, but that's how it was, day after day, week after week, until finally I remember saying to God, please, would you get her out of the church or change her? Which is a terrible thing to say. I'm ashamed that I, I, I did that. 
and I felt God rebuke me immediately. I felt God say to me very clearly, never despise whom I love. I felt so rebuked. And I remember this very clearly. I remember praying, God, what shall I do then? And I felt God say to me, I felt him clearly say to me, I want you to go and visit her. I want you to sit down with her and I want you to let her talk to you for an hour. And then at the end of that hour, I want you to reflect back to her the things she said to you. And I remember this. I thought, okay, so, so I did. I went over to her home. I sat down opposite her in an armchair and I said, off you go. Nice to see you. And off she went. And I remember it was a hot afternoon, summer afternoon, window was open, birds tweeting, bees b buzzing. And I remember my eyelids were getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And you know when, when your eyes begin to cross when you get so tired? And my eyes were crossing and I was fighting this. I thought it was so hard to do this. And so by the end, I finally, she finally finished. And then I, I thought, I remember, and I began to reflect back to her what she said to me. And the reason why I remember this story is because of the expression on her face when I did that. I still remember how her face lit up. And it occurred to me for the first time, that was probably the first time that she had felt valued in years. And the effect was so dramatic. Her face looked beautiful. It was amazing, the whole sense of suddenly, she wasn't treated like someone that you passed over, suddenly she felt loved. And it profoundly affected me. It didn't necessarily end the situation, but it improved it, actually. It, she wasn't, it wasn't really an issue anymore. And her whole demeanor changed. She herself changed. And it occurred to me how powerful it is. Understand the power of, of, of shining your light, as it were, and spotlighting someone else. It is powerful. It changed her. Guys, understand the power of selflessly taking an interest in someone else. The power of honoring someone is huge. In an age when people feel trampled on or forgotten about or passed over or despised or a statistic or a name in a phone book, Listen, putting in a spotlight on a person has huge power and it expresses the love of God for them. It is very, very powerful. Can you imagine that in your office, in your school, in your family, even now? I'm praying that faces will be popping into your head. People that you think, oh, I've kind of not even thought about that person, but hey, I think I, I, I could take an interest. Maybe there's a problem person who's an irritant to you. But you see, it does involve taking the spotlight off yourself first and popping your zorb. And as Christians, that is what we are called to do. And as Paul goes on to show, it's actually one of the most God-like things we can do. Because as we'll see, in a sense, it's what Jesus did for us. All right, so, so look at the next verses. This is Paul again. He says this, Have this in mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I mean, what is that if it's not taking the spotlight off yourself? 
That's exactly what that is. And of course, Jesus, more than anyone, is the one who deserves the spotlight because it's legitimate with him. He is holy. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is the divine son of God. He deserves all the spotlights. It's legitimate for him. He is worthy of the spotlight. And yet it says here that he emptied himself. Interesting phrase. What does it mean, empty? What did he empty himself of? Well, he didn't empty himself of his godness because that remained. He remained God all the way through. So what did he empty himself of? Well, well, surely it was his majesty. Mandy read the passage out earlier from Isaiah 53. He was despised. It was his majesty. It was the worship that was due him, his glory, and even his divine power. It's amazing to think about it. The God who spun the stars out into space who holds everything together, who has enjoyed from all eternity the worship and glory of countless angels and spiritual beings, now becomes something else, becomes a baby like you and I were. There's a lovely little photo of a baby. Can you imagine for the the miracle of God to confine himself into the body of a vulnerable baby? And not just any baby, as it were. It's a baby in a filthy stall in a forgotten time in history in the back alley of the Roman Empire. You see, for God to become a man at all and walk among us is an incredible humiliation. And it's not even as if he grew up to become a majestic young man that everybody would be amazed by because Isaiah 53 goes on to say this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, shock horror in our age, which is obsessed with image, Jesus was ordinary. He was ordinary. There was nothing about him that would make him stand out of a crowd. He was ordinary. He didn't have piercing blue eyes and blonde hair. He didn't float two feet off the ground. Over the years, Hollywood has done a terrible disservice. Jesus was ordinary. In heaven, he is majestic and glorious, comes to the earth, puts all that aside, becomes ordinary. And then it says in verse 8, and then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you see there's a a process of incredible stepping down and stepping down and stepping down. This, This God who is the author of life humbles himself to become obedient to death. Right? Death is not a beautiful thing, right? Death isn't beautiful. It's not romantic. It's actually a humiliation because it's the relinquishing of all dignity and control. And so for the author of life to submit to death is a huge humiliation. And further still, of course, it's the death of a cross. Look, the crucifixion was the Romans' way of bringing torture and humiliation to a fine art. The cross perfected the art of humiliation. You must get out of your minds the romantic picture of classical paintings of Jesus kind of uh, hanging on a cross listlessly with one head to one side, a, a cloth discreetly covering him. No, the reality, of course, there was no cloth. It was utterly shameful and humiliating. 
He willingly did this. Why? Because he was taking your sin and your shame upon himself. Jesus, who actually deserves all majesty and honor, laid it down for us, consciously moved the spotlight away from himself and shone it on us. He regarded your well-being as more important than his own. And let me just tell you this morning, God has his spotlight on you now. And it's a spotlight of love. Longing for your well-being rather than his own. His spirit searching, knocking on the door of your heart and saying to you, allow my death to affect your life. If you've never asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, you've never put your trust in him and asked him into your life. Understand God is knocking on the door of your heart this morning, shining his spotlight upon you, saying, allow me to come in and fix you and love you. Take my death and, the, and, the, and all that it won for you. Take it and receive life. Jesus is still doing it. His spotlight is upon you. And Paul's really saying here in Philippians, look, church, There's an invitation here. It's to be, actually, ironically, it's to be like God. You want to be Christ-like? Well, here he is, taking the spotlight off himself and shining it on others. And the invitation is, you do the same. Wherever you are, do the same. And so you can become, actually, Christ-like in the most ordinary places. Giving the time of day to an old person, like... I tried to do an old lady. Or calling someone after the meeting saying, hey, you look tired this morning, are you okay? It can be as simple as, I know you've been unwell, let me make a meal for you. Let me take the kids for the afternoon. That's the light, there's a spotlight shining on someone. Can I take you out to lunch? Can I be a shoulder for you to cry on? Would you allow me just to get near you that I might help? Can I serve you in some way? Can I pray for you this week? It's hearing Matt asking for helpers to serve the kids and thinking, hey, it's not really my scene. I, I kind of, I'm not sure, maybe out of my depth, I don't know, but, but hey, it's not about me. I'm shining the light on the kids. Okay, I'll do it. I'll gladly do it. Because actually it's a way of putting value, of esteeming these young ones. It's being like Jesus. I tell you, if you understand what I'm saying, there should be a queue lining up by Matt at the end of the meeting. Because it's taking the spotlight off. It is serving. It is, yes, it's a little bit of a death to your zorb, but you're stepping out. And anyway, the helpers, they provide everything for you. It's like me saying, okay, I'm here. I want to, I want to serve. It's a precious thing. It's a Christ-like thing. Can you see it turns a small thing like that into a heavenly moment? It's Christ-like. And if you read the rest of the passage, you'll see that it leads to exaltation of Jesus and celebration. It does. And a church full of this kind of activity will be a Christ-like, exultant, celebratory church. Honor is a big word for us, and we're growing in our understanding of it. I know when we first started using the word, we'd often get the wrong end of the stick. 
And I'd often hear people say, what about my honour? Or, I didn't feel very honoured by that situation or by that email that she sent me. And I used to think at the time, that doesn't sound right to me. Wait a second, it's not about your honour. That's the point. Jesus didn't defend his honour, he gave it away. Honour is not something we claim for ourselves, it's something we lay down like Jesus. It's something we give to others. And so whenever we use that word, it will always be in relation to someone else being honoured, not us. So we don't think about our honour, we think about those around us. That's what Jesus did when he stayed laid aside his majesty and walked the earth and went to the cross. Jesus emptied himself of honour and that is what we are called to do as well, by honouring those around us. Amen? Folks, if we can get this right, we will be more and more a Christ-like church. You will be a Christ-like person and you will truly be a blessing. Heaven is to come to the earth in signs and wonders. Heaven is to come to the earth through the presence of the Spirit. And heaven is to come to earth in Christ-like humility that puts a spotlight on other people. It's all about heaven coming to the earth. Do you want to be part of that? Let's go for all three. Let's go for all three. Let's stand. Can we stand? Hallelujah. Just for a second, let's just pause before we rush around and pick up the kids. And, or they will come to you, don't worry. But before they crash in, as it were, just pause for a moment. I'm going to ask God right now by his spirit to bring people to your mind. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you sent your son. That Jesus, you came, you, you emptied yourself, or it says in one version, you made yourself of no reputation. You became a man, then obedient to death and death on a cross. You, you took the spotlight that was already shining on you from all eternity. You took it and you shone it upon us. Oh, Lord. The result is redemption and salvation for many. We thank you for it. And now, Lord, you're calling us to be like you. Lord, thank you for dignifying our lives that much that we can imitate our God. I thank you for Karina and Tafari, Lord, how they do that. They, they lay their lives down for what they are doing for the lives of others. I, I thank you for the kids' workers who do the same. I thank you for those that we're learning about all around us who are doing it day in and day out. Father, I pray, we pray for each one of us, would you direct our path along a new way, a way which talks about laying our lives down, about taking an interest, about shining your light on the lives of others, those who don't even know you, those who are waiting in the office for us to turn up tomorrow. I pray, give us opportunities tomorrow, Lord. Just give us eyes to see where people are struggling and that we might lay our lives down a little to 
see them raised up. Father, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon us and teach us a new way, a way that is most like your Son. And I pray, encourage us with many blessings coming and lives being changed. Father, I pray maybe only a loaf and a fish that we can give, but Lord, we know you can turn that into something that will feed thousands. I pray that all ministry in and through this church will be done from a position of laying our lives down, that you might come and express your love through us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Now, even as you stand there, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Put your finger, Lord, on family, on on the outcast, on those that we would usually pass by. Lord, even now, put faces before us of those we work with. Maybe people in another nation that you might send us to them. Send us to those, Lord, particularly who are despised or crushed by others. Holy 